0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au So for the last four months, I've been in my lounge room a camera up there set up at the back, and um, it's amazing how um, disconcerting that is you just sort of look at this camera sort of thing. I know you're all out the other side there somewhat, and people have been looking, but it um, hasn't been the easiest part. And you sort of get used to it after a little while, but then somebody parks the car outside the lounge room window, and the sun moves over, and the, then it sort of shines in your eye. You think, Excuse me, I'll just go and shift the car, then I'll come back. But you sort of can't do that when you're online, but we've had a whole lot of challenges over the last four months. And uh, we praise God that we've been able to do that and uh, keep online to keep uh, opening up God's Word for ourselves. But today um, we are going to get back to Colossians again. We'll be doing a, a sort of a mini-series over the last three weeks on families. I'm going to get my Bible to sit there so it doesn't fall off. I'm not sure if anybody noticed that about a month or so ago, but my stand was sort of flopping down. Then I'd pick it back up again and it'd flop back down. I think this one's nice and firm, so I shouldn't do that. Okay. Uh, The Australian government thinks families are important. How do I know that? Well, one measure is that they spend lots of money on families each year, lots of money on families. The government spends billions of dollars each year on supporting and helping families. Education alone, I think it's $292 billion just for education to help families. Not only that, there's uh, health Uh, Funding they do, there's recreational funding, there's uh, uh, family services also they put into place. It's probably a trillion dollars or more they're spending on families each and every year. The, The Australian government thinks families are important, really important. Family is important. Family's important to God as well. It's important to Him because He created family, it's His design. Families are all about God and His design. God created the community of the family to be the building blocks, as it were, of the larger community. We have with us today here probably five or six different families represented, and they actually are forming this community we have live with us here right now. Today we want to think about uh, this aspect of family, and particularly children as we think about that today, and God's design for them within the family. So, if you've got your Bibles there, go to Colossians chapter 3, where we've been for the last few weeks. You're going to read verses 1 to 4 again, and then verses 18 to 21. Okay, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. "'If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God.' When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Then across to verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged father we thank you so much that we can gather this morning we thank you holy spirit for this word that you gave to paul the apostle uh, 2000 years ago lord you moved upon his heart to write a letter to the church in colossae uh, epaphras was faithfully pastoring this church he connected with paul paul said i want to write a letter to these people to strengthen them and encourage them so god today we stand here we sit here 2000 years later And we read this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. It speaks to our hearts today just as fresh as it spoke to the Colossians and their hearts 2,000 years ago. So we ask Holy Spirit this morning, open this letter up, open this word up. Grow us here as families. Grow us here as we think about children, teenagers, young people and parents and the way the gospel interacts with families. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are wrapping up a short series here on uh, the Gospel transforming families. Paul is writing to the Colossians here to help build and grow strong believers in Christ, shaped and moulded by the Gospel itself. Uh, You may be wondering, why do I keep reading those first 12 verses over the last few weeks? It's sort of not, you know, there's a big gap there between verses 1 to 4 and verses 18 to 21. Well, you've got to think about the whole letter that Paul's writing to the Colossians, he just didn't write them. In these three verses at the uh, verses eighteen to twenty-one. There's a context that's carrying right through this whole letter. Uh, these first few verses, verses one to four, actually set our heart and our mind in the right direction to understand what's happening here. Those first four verses tell us this: that because of our salvation, that Jesus has won for us on the cross, paying the price of our sins and dying and rising again for our justification, our right standing before God. Because of this, from this foundation. It's now set our minds on the things above. Actually, live out who you've been called to be now, who you've been redeemed to be. Live it out. So that's why we do those first four verses to get that right again. That that, um, to build that foundation in a context that's saved by Christ, and now we live that out. This same gospel transformation then that we take, we now take into the most foundational of all our relational communities. This gospel transformation goes into our families our families a father a mother and children strong stable families are the foundation of strong stable communities probably one marked thing of the western world built on judeo-christian principles is strong healthy families form a strong healthy community why is that you may ask because this is what god our sovereign creator has ordained he created it. He created male and female to come together as husband and wife. This is God's design. He also gave them the ability, as a word, to come together and to reproduce new life. And I see a lot of that before me here this morning. Children. So that's what we're going to talk about today as Paul opens this passage up here at the Colossians. Children, teenagers, young people and their responsibilities, also parents, namely fathers and their responsibilities as well. Here's their big idea as we think about that today. Children, obey wholeheartedly your parents as they teach, as they train, as they treasure, and they model Jesus before you. For this brings God pleasure, and it also brings blessing into your own lives as well, as you follow God's commands for your life. Okay, let's quickly go through again the family here in God's design. It's father and it's mother. As we saw over the last couple of weeks with husband and with with wife and with husband, both are equal before God in personhood. There's no distinction between male and female in the value and the respect and the worth of who they are before God. But God's given them different roles to carry out. Uh, Men are required to lead, so they're generally uh, more stronger, bigger, for that sort of protecting, sort of caring and providing sort of role that they take out. And women... Mothers, God's designed them to have children, to give birth to children and to nurture them, to care for them, to uh, bring them up. We see those two roles there in that, in that uh, extent. And also in the family unit there is children who are born into a family. But let me ask this, uh, what are newborn children able to do when they come into this world? I've got an answer from the crowd, nothing. True, Nothing. They can do nothing when they are born into this world. Well, not quite nothing. They actually bring a lot of disruption into our lives, don't they? Namely, at 1 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning, at the most craziest... They can do some things. They can bring disruption into our lives. All they seem to do there, though, as newborn children, as cute and as adorable as they are, and I've had... Well, my wife's had four of them, but I've been the father of four of them. They seem to lie there either eating... Sleeping or filling their nappy? I thought you're all going to sort of fill the gap in there, weren't you? Filling nappies, that's all they seem to do. They just don't do anything else but that for the first few weeks, maybe months. They're completely helpless. They can't do anything. They're dependent on other people for their very life. If you abandon a baby, it just won't survive. They are are utterly helpless and hopeless. They can't do anything on their own. But what has God done for them? Does God leave them like that? Are children just born and then we just leave them in the hospital and go, go, go home without them? That doesn't happen. What's God done? He's placed them into a family, into a family, a place where they can be loved, a place where they can be cared for and they can grow as well. It's also a place that God has put them into to learn, to learn as a tiny infant and growing and maturing through that. And primarily the family is... God's design for learning about Him, learning about our sovereign Creator. It's the family where we learn to grow and mature as people created in God's image. This is the wonderful thing that God has given, this family unit. So as we think about that, let's roll into now what Paul's saying here because when it comes to the responsibilities of children, Paul's not real complicated here, is he, in what he says. You have a look in verse 20. And it's really simple. You don't need to be a Greek scholar. You don't need to go to university to get this. It just says simply, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Obey your parents in everything. It's pretty simple. Now, when we say children, we're thinking there of young people, young people that are in the care of the family. So don't just rule yourself out if you think, well, I'm 12 or 13, so I'm a teenager now. So I'm not, no, sorry. You're in that as well probably thinking up to around the age of 18, 19 before you're beginning to leave home, perhaps at that age. You're in that. Obey your parents. God commands you to do what you are told by your parents. If mum or dad says it's time for bed, well, that's exactly what you do. If mum or dad says it's time to put the mobile phone away, that sort of happens when they get into teenage years, that's exactly what you do. You do as you're told. The word obey there... As uh, Paul writes, that is quite forceful. It's quite forceful. It's, It's a command. It's not something that the parents ask you to do and then you're given a choice by God, will I or won't I? Maybe I will obey, maybe I won't obey. It's not a choice. God's quite forceful when He says that there. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul. God says you must obey your parents no matter what. No questions asked. Paul takes it further. Look in verse 20. He uses that word there. Everything. Everything. There's no wriggle room, as it were, with God. Can I just sort of wriggle out of that command? and sort of, can I, you know, can I just change a bit there? You know, well, you know, hang on. I'll only obey some things, but not other things. I'll only obey on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and not any other day of the week. I'll only obey if it suits me and I agree to it. Well, sorry, you should have told me that yesterday because I would have obeyed yesterday, but today I don't obey. Everything, all the time, we obey. Paul's really simple here to get. Probably though, as a young person, you've already got those cogs turning. Does that mean, is there no exceptions whatsoever? Is it everything without question, full stop? I'll give you half a millimetre to move here. The only time that you may question your parents about obedience is if they are asking you to do something that is simply ungodly or unbiblical. Sure, you have a chance then, to, as it were, to question why that's happening. If, some, if your parents were to ask you to tell a lie or be deceptive or something like that, hey, you've got a chance then to say something and maybe for those... Who are watching online that so you may be a teenager and you may have unbelieving parents and maybe they are asking you to do some things at times which you believe is ungodly. Certainly at that point, lovingly and respectfully, you can ask the question. You can ask the question at a time and say, I'm not sure that's right, mum or dad. So if it's un- ungodly or unbiblical, yes, you can question that. But think about this um, teenager, child, young person. When you go against or rebel towards your parents, so you're not going to do what they've asked you to do, you're not going to do what their requests are, do you want to know what you're doing? You're actually rebelling against God. You're saying no to God. When you push back against your parents, why do I have to? You always ask me to do this. I'm not doing it. You're rebelling against God. Or, when you say yes to your parents, but I'll do it in 10 minutes' time, but you have no intention of doing it, you're rebelling against God. You're sinning against God. Actually, this is what you're saying with your disobedience. Yeah, God, you give me parents to train me and to love me, but I don't care about that. God, even though you give me these parents who spend so much money on providing for me, they buy clothes and food and all that sort of stuff, I don't care about that. You see, when we disobey our parents, that's what we're saying to God who's given us life and given us a family. When we choose not to follow God's ways and rebel, we're saying, God, I don't care what you've given me. Guys, let me tell you, when you disobey your parents... Disobeying God, you're saying no to God, it's a terrible sin, it's a terrible sin and disobedience. We are sinning against an infinitely holy and good God when we don't do what our parents ask us to do. Okay, so parents, it's our role to teach and to train our children. Now, the Bible says that number of times. Here's one mentioned from uh, from Psalm 78. It says this in verses 5 to 7. "'He established a testimony in Jacob "'and appointed a law in Israel, "'which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, "'that the next generation might know them, "'the children yet unborn, and arise "'and tell them to their children, "'so that they should set their hope in God "'and not forget the works of God, "'but keep his commandments.'" We've got to tell one generation who tells the next generation and tells the next generation. It's both a massive privilege and responsibility for parents to teach and train their children about God. We get to tell and teach our children about the most glorious being in the universe. We look outside today and we see the trees and we see the sky and we think, this is glorious, what God you've made. We get to tell them about God. We get to show and tell our children about Jesus Christ, our sovereign Saviour. We have an opportunity to tell our children about our holy, loving God who sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for us. What a wonder that is, that we can actually teach and tell our children about the hope of all hopes that Christ is. Never lose sight of this eternal opportunity that you have to train your children. It's a massive responsibility with an eternal reward. So children are to obey our parents and it's a responsibility that we've been given but look what Paul says next here in verse twenty-one. He actually says, don't make life hard for your children. Look in there, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What's Paul saying here when he opens this verse up for us? Well, firstly, he's addressing fathers. He says fathers for very good reason he says that see fathers you are the primary figure that God has ordained to teach and to train your children about him you are the primary figure that God has placed in that family to do that we can see it again here in Ephesians 6 it says this chapter chapter 6 verse 4 fathers do not provoke your children to anger read the next bit but bring them up In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. As you lead the family, we looked at that last week, husbands, fathers leading the family, you must also lead the family towards God. Sure, your wife helps and supports you in this privilege and it is a team effort, absolutely a team effort there. But fathers, you guys set the tone. You guys set the spiritual tempo in your house. You lead the charge when it comes to raising a gospel family, when it comes to raising children to know and trust in Christ their Saviour. It's the fathers who set the tone here. Now, I've seen some amazing figures in the past. I'm just going to read them out now. I've seen figures here that say if a mother comes to Christ first and sort of goes on to try and lead the rest of the family uh, to Jesus as well, it's something like 15% probably follows on in that way if the father comes to Christ first and he leads the rest of the family on as well into that way it jumps to 55% of the family will actually follow on it just goes to show the influence that God has given to fathers over a family that can either be really positive or that can be really negative Paul wants it to be really positive by fathers teaching and training their children So, fathers, this is your role and privilege to lead the family to Christ. But see what it says here? Fathers, don't provoke your children. I'm I'm just trying to work out why I said that because I'm pretty guilty of that too myself at times. But here's what he's saying. Don't abuse your position. Don't embitter your children or crush their spirit. As it said back in Ephesians, don't provoke them to anger. What does that word provoke there mean as we think about that? Probably it means don't be unrealistic with them. Don't be overly demanding and insensitive towards them in your training and your teaching. Don't go over the top in this. Don't put expectations on them that are impossible to meet. Don't give them a whole list of jobs for for the weekend which will probably take the whole weekend to do and then expect them to get them done before lunchtime on Saturday because probably your teenager won't get out of bed before 10 o'clock so that's going to get it back to about two hours if that's the case. Don't be overly demanding and unrealistically uh, expecting things they'll never get done. Don't be the father who had that hard day at work and then he comes home and takes it on his kids. You come home a bit ticked off, a bit grumpy. Things haven't gone your, well, uh, your way that day, and, and then somehow to regain a bit of respect or credibility in your life, you just begin to order the kids around or just speak sharply to them. Don't do that. That'll um, make them feel like they're just slaves, and they'll feel like they're demeaned. You'll only make your children bitter if that's what happens. If, if you are the father, if you have a bad day and you come home like you'll probably just crush their spirit in that sense and embitter them towards you and probably provoke them to dislike you. Unfortunately, I know of some teens uh, who've left home as soon as they possibly could, like literally hit 18, 19 and they're out. And the reason why they're out, they couldn't handle their father and his cold dictatorial ways of just like a big marshal just ordering the troops around the house. It just embittered them. They they just could not wait to get out of the home. Uh, Devastating when that happens. So fathers, don't provoke your children. You'll only discourage them in that. Now, teaching children, teenagers, young people, it's hard work. It is hard work. You're actually working, as it were, with with a sort of a sliding scale of life. And what I mean by that is this. For the early years, when they're sort of, you know, maybe naught to maybe eight, nine, you just do as I say. It's You can be a bit like the Marshall, then just, just do as I say and they somewhat comply with that in those early years. But things change. As the older they get, your parenting skills have sort of got to slide up the scale to sort of match where your family's at at this point in time. You're still asking them to do something but now there's a whole lot more talking that goes with that to sort of help them see why you're asking um, them to do what they've got to do. In other words, you don't treat a 16-year-old like a six-year-old because that will embitter them, that will provoke them, that will discourage them, they'll feel like, well, you treat me like a six-year-old. They might still say that even though you're doing the right thing sometimes, that might be their little ace of spades they pull out to sort of, you know, rebel against you. But you don't treat a 16-year-old like a six-year-old. You understand what stage of life your family's at and then you need to treat them accordingly. You're actually spending more time having discussions with them of why you're setting a gospel direction in the decisions you're making now. Lots of discussion, lots of talk. And along with that, you're working with this dynamic of your family changing, rapidly changing to the going from uh, newborn and infant to children to teenagers, the sort of young adults. It, it, this, this thing's like a sliding scale. It's just dynamic and it's moving all the time. Your family goes through stages. Uh, here's an example of, of a great quote that I heard, read the other day as I was preparing for today's talk and it was by Mark Twain, an American writer from uh, past century and he says this, listen carefully to me, when I was a boy of 14 my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around but when I got to be 21 I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in the last seven years. I think you're getting the picture. I'm not sure the old man learnt much in the last seven years. I think the teenager grew up and he matured. But this is what teenagers are like. They know everything when they're 14. You can't tell them anything. But they do eventually mature. Sometimes it's just millimeter by millimeter at times. But it's hard work. It's hard work. You've got to keep dealing with that dynamic. You don't crush them because of your frustration now of longer conversations or more things to talk about or trying to go back through that same situation again of why are we going in that direction as a family? And sometimes you'll feel like you're having that same conversation over and over again. Sometimes you're going to deal with really difficult children or teenagers who are really unreasonable. And you'll show all the patients in the world... Yet they'll still refuse. They'll still push back against you and they'll refuse to follow God's way. You're working with rebels like yourself, like myself. That's hard. Don't expect parenting to be this sort of, you know, easy thing. It's got lots of challenges. And as I said, you'll have the same conversation over and over again. There's some conversations I'm sure I have in the morning and I have in the afternoon. And I'm dealing with the same issue. I'm thinking, didn't we talk about this this morning? And I've got to go back and sort of go through it again. They keep pushing. They just keep pushing. I've come alongside some parents uh, who've had teenagers that have given them nothing short of hell on earth in this unreasonableness and this rebellion. That's heartbreaking. Some of the stories I've been part of, uh, it it brings you to tears when you see what's happened. Thankfully, in a couple of those instances, I have seen the teenagers soften and mellow when they've got into their early 20s but prior to that I've had phone calls in the middle of the night and it's been hard work for those parents. Here at the EC as a gospel community we want to stand with parents to walk that journey, to help them go the, the whole way in establishing and in strengthening uh, families to be strong. Uh, we actually started a Paul Tripp parenting course early this year. Uh, COVID-19 it sort of cut that in half and stopped it but that's the sort of stuff we want to do at Exchange because you want to see families flourish and grow in the gospel so we want to jump right alongside here and help parents do this so you see the thrust of what Paul is saying here in this passage to the Colossians is this it's be an encouragement to your teenager to your child to your young person in your family in this teaching and training process being an encouragement to them spend time with them and get to understand you can't um, helicopter parent as we remote control them. you actually got to be with them in life. Show an interest in their lives and what they 're involved in if they 're into sport, get into sport with them if they 're into bike riding, get into bike riding with them. Whatever may be peaking their interest at this time, actually get involved with them. get to know them, spend time with them that 'll actually help to foster and grow a great relationship with your son or daughter as they 're growing up and of course, with that talk with your family, talk with your children, talk with your teenagers. Sometimes we don't want to talk, sometimes when they want to talk we don't want to talk but we actually got to, okay I'm going to take hold of this opportunity. I've done that myself sometimes with my kids, wasn't right the time I wanted to talk but hey he or she wants to talk now, I'm going to talk. Talk with them, Talk about the big issues that you're facing as a family and the older they get, you'll be surprised at how big a conversation you can have with them. You may not give them all the details, but you can have that conversation about the hard issues of life. Talk about the changing nature of the world we're in. Talk about COVID-19. Talk about the reactions of people and the community around about us. This is all helping to foster them with a worldview that's centered on the gospel and centered on Jesus Christ. Talk about Jesus regularly. And how the gospel actually intersects with their life. Not just on Sundays, but seven days a week. Every aspect of who we are, the gospel intersects with who we are. Talk about that. Don't avoid the hard talks with your kids, your teenagers. When they're going through the next stage of life and there's awkward stuff happening for them. And it feels awkward to talk about it. Have that discussion. You're building connection. You're building a relationship with them. You're building a platform where you can actually grow and foster the gospel in their lives. Spend time praying with your kids. Um, when the kids were younger, myself, probably up to about 10, 12, every night pray with them before they went to bed. Went down, one thing I loved to do was to go down and just pray with my kids as they went to bed. The problem now is my kids go to bed after I go to bed so I can't really get up and go and pray with them now. I get up before them now the next morning, so maybe I could, yeah, do it then. Pray with them though. Take an opportunity to pray with your kids. It's building relationship with them. That's an encouragement for your teenager, your young person. And what you're doing when you do that is you're investing that time with your children and you're fostering this great relationship to help model Jesus and model the Gospel to them. So as we think about that, teenagers, children, young people, what's the result of obeying our parents? Paul says here, obey your parents what's the result of that when they teach us and they instruct us and they train us have a look at the end of verse 20 Paul uh, gives us a great incentive there he says children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord this pleases the Lord this is exactly how God calls us to live when we follow God's ways it brings joy and delight to Him the one who gives us our breath and our life isn't that a beautiful result we can actually please God we can bring joy and delight to Him. For a wonderful, loving God who's given us all that we have around about us, gives us our breath every second, we have an opportunity to bring delight to God, to please Him. Not that He needs it or requires it, but He just is moved by that. He's an emotional God. He's a God with passions. He's a God who delights. And you're blessed in doing that, children teenagers, young person. There's a blessing in following God and actually obeying your parents. It helps to create a harmonious home, even though you may not like what you've been asked to do, as you do it and submit to it, there's a blessing that comes with that. And let me say this for parents as well, as you fulfill your responsibilities in training your children to bring them up in the ways of the Lord, as Ephesians 6, 4 tell us, it also brings delight and pleasure to God. He delights when he sees families working together in a harmonious way, honouring and glorifying Him. We are blessed as, as, as well as we lead our kids in Christ. When you, when you have that conversation with your son or your daughter and they bring up and they want to talk about some aspect of the Gospel, whew, you're blessed. It's a wonderful thing to do that. So if we draw to a close here, if I ask this question today, If I ask this question, how would you answer it? Do you desire to have a stable, loving family, living in peace and harmony? Do you desire for your family to grow in the gospel, knowing Jesus with the hope of eternity firmly fixed in their, their hearts? Is that what you desire? I'm sure the answer is yes. I'm sure the answer is yes. Well, this is God's will for our lives. This is what God wants. God provides all that we need to grow strong, healthy and happy, Christ-centered lives. God has given us His Son, Jesus, His one and only Son, to pay the price of our sin, to draw us back into relationship with the Father. God's given us His living, eternal Word, just like the Colossians got here and just like we've got today, to breathe life into our hearts. And He's given us His Spirit to breathe that life into that Word into our hearts and then to live out that word to have these healthy, strong, growing families. He's given us a community. We don't do it alone as such. One of the great things we've benefited from is is when we had smaller kids, we would ask parents of uh, kids who are older than ours, what did you do when you went through that stage? We have a community where we can do that, have those conversations. This is our prayer here at Exchange Church. We want to see... Uh, gospel-centered families knowing the joy of Christ, knowing the peace of Christ, knowing the strength and harmony and peace that comes in growing together as strong families. Our hearts long for this here at Exchange, to pray for this and to see the wholeness of Christ coming in and restoring and growing families. And we know we live in a world that's lined with challenges. There's not a bed of roses out there to just walk up and down and this is really easy to bring up, kids. It's tedious, it's unrewarding often. But we have God's Spirit dwelling within us, bringing all of those things together to live this life, to raise families, to uh, be absolutely committed to enabling us to raise these families to know Jesus. Here's one thought that really helps me in motivating this. Outside of Christ, Jesus is my supreme joy. But outside of Christ, my highest joy is this. It's spending eternity with my family. It's singing the praises of Christ with my family. That's what drives me on to want to raise a family. Because sure, I might only have another 15, 20 years or 30 years left in this world. Who knows? I like, could be tonight I might be gone. But I have an eternity to just spend with my family to sing about Jesus. Never to be separated. That drives me on to want to raise a family that knows Christ and treasures Him. This eternal perspective. he gives to me is that your heart's cry is that what you want Jesus will do that for us if only we will commit ourselves to him let's pray Father we thank you for today that we can gather together uh, around your word Father, we thank you now that we can uh, take this time to just stop and reflect upon gospel families. Father, we thank you today that you have given us all we need to raise families that know Christ and Lord, can look forward to that eternal hope that we can stand side by side and we can sing the glories of Christ forever. Father, we know that families go through challenges, families go through all sorts of trials. Lord, again, I pray today that you would help us to come back to your word, that your spirit would bring that word alive in our hearts and renew commitment within us, Lord, to be dedicated to be raising these families, spending time having the conversations with them, spending time reading the Bible with them, spending time, Lord, having prayer with them, being involved and invested in their lives. Help us to do that as families, And help us to do that as a community, Lord, supporting each other in that, I pray. And Lord, some today, not that I know it firsthand, but I've experienced being with other families, Lord, the heartache of having uh, super rebellious kids. Lord, I pray that you would just communicate your grace into their hearts and lives, Lord, just to renew them today. Lord, again, to look up and see the hope that you give. Renew their hearts to keep loving those difficult children, difficult teenagers. And I pray for breakthrough in the hearts and lives of those difficult teenagers, Lord, and difficult children today. God, that you would soften those hearts and help them to see what you've called us into and what you give us. Today, Father, we thank you for that. And we ask that and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.